Today we want to talk about my church is authentic. My church is authentic. Now think about that word authenticity for just a moment. When you think of something that is authentic, you think of something that is true and something that is genuine, something that is real. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me. When I was growing up as a kid, there used to be this show on television, and it was like these people, they found antiques in their parents' houses or grandparents' houses. Did you ever see this? Where they bring it to this guy who's supposed to look over the item, and as he looks over the item, he's going to tell you the value of it and tell you whether it's real or not. And my favorites were the ones that they bring in the item, and they gave it to the guy, and he's talking about this 16th century piece of art, da 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 da, da. And he goes, but this isn't it. This is worth $5. And you just see their face. They're glowing from here to here. And I'm thinking, yes. And they, the disappointment just comes right over. Can I just say something? That is, that's true of Christianity as well. That's true of Christianity. When people begin to see a genuine and authentic Christian, it lights their faces up. And then when they fail, it lets them down greatly. There is nothing more valuable than authenticity. In fact, a lot of things that you can find today, they come with certificate of authenticity. I wish every Christian came with that certificate, don't you? Here's a certificate of authenticity. I promise you it's not your baptismal certificate. Because anybody can be baptized. It's not a certificate that says, I prayed with the pastor. That, anybody can get that one too. It's not a deacon certificate. It's not even an ordination certificate. It's not even a license for a pastor, an ordination certificate for a pastor. But I wish we could get a certificate of authenticity to prove that our genuineness, our Christianity, is real. Now, we may not be able to get a piece of paper that says that, but our lives can. The way we live and the things we do. I'm here to tell you there is nothing more that the world is searching for than authenticity. I promise you there are people out there that are searching for the truth. I had a young lady on Wednesday night that came up to me a couple weeks ago and she said, what do you think about gods? She said plural, gods. What do you think about that? And I said the great thing is, is I can tell you about one who is genuine and real. Because they're looking for the truth. They want authenticity. They want truth. They want to know what is real. Well, Jesus himself claimed he was the way, the truth, and the life. And I promise you, he genuinely is. But the question is, is what about us? Well, today I want to talk about four characteristics we must not lack in order to be authentic. The first one is do not lack integrity. Look with me in Matthew 23. We're going to be in Matthew 23. We're going to be looking at several verses over this chapter. And this chapter is really about the Pharisees. Jesus really dug into the Pharisees and he really nailed them on some things that showed they were not authentic, that showed they were not real. But if we're honest, we see a lot of this in church today. And so these are characteristics that we do not want to display. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 2, we want to talk about do not lack integrity. It's just saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not do ye after their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Integrity is essential to the Christian life. 
It is absolutely essential. If you don't have integrity, you have nothing. Integrity is simply this. You are who you are in public as you are in private. That's integrity. If you are the same person in public that you are in private, you are authentic. You are a person of integrity. Now, what he says here in verse 2, it's interesting. He says, here's a couple of characteristics. The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they claim to have authority that is not theirs. You ever known people like that? They seem to claim to have authority that's not theirs. This is any judgmental Christian. If you are a judgmental Christian and you can point out the flaws of every person you meet, you are a Pharisee. Plain and simple. The Bible makes it very clear. We're not called to sit out and pick out everybody's problems. Now, there is a thing called church discipline, and that is called where you go to that person in order to help them get their relationship right with God. But if you can pick out every problem with every person, or you can say something like this, well, you don't want to talk to her. You don't want to go be with them. You don't want to hang out with that person. If you have comments like that, that is called judgmental and being a Pharisee. You put yourself in a seat of authority as though you can tell others what they should and should not do. Can I tell you where the authority lies? The authority lies in the Word of God. Doesn't allow, it doesn't lie in any man or any woman. It lies in the Word of God. This is where we hold people accountable to the truths of God's Word. But they went above and beyond. Look at verse 3. It says, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not do ye after their works, for they say and do not do. In other words, they were really good talkers. They were really good at picking themselves up of looking righteous. In fact, Jesus made a statement in Matthew 5 and verse 20. He said, you got to be more righteous than the Pharisees. His point was, is they're really good at talking the talk, but they don't back it up with their walk. There is nothing like somebody that says they can do something and then watching them fail, is there? You ever known somebody that, man, they brag about everything? They can tell you they can do all kinds of things. I used to have a, there was a guy that was married to my cousin. And if you dunked on a 10-foot goal, he dunked on a 12-foot. I don't know where he found a 12-foot goal, but he could do it. You caught a fish this big, his fish was this big, you know. He was that kind of guy. He would always one-up you. And then when he would go to try to prove he could do something, he could never do it. Authenticity is about proving that you can do what you say you do. And he said this about the Pharisees. He said, they're really good. Listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. How many of you ever had parents that have said that to you? Do what I say, don't do what I do. Have you ever had a parent say that to you? Have you ever been that parent? How many? We've got a lot of guilty people in church today, right? I'm guilty. I've done that before. You know, do what I say, don't do what I do. And here's the truth of the matter. That doesn't work very well, especially with kids today. It doesn't work with kids today. Why? Because they want to see even authenticity in their parents. They want to see. The Pharisees were really good at saying one thing and doing another. But look at verse 4. Here's something else they did. It says they bind heavy burdens, grievous to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, they were really good at compiling more and more laws and placing it on people. Here's, here's how it is to look like a Christian. And they would add to the Word of God. In fact, this idea of tying and binding more burdens on them was kind of like what they would do to mules and camels, they would bind them up with these heavy loads to where the animal could barely move. And if the animal faltered in one step, they would beat the animal. And that's exactly what these Pharisees were good at doing. Piling on laws and piling on things that these people were supposed to do, but they themselves weren't going to do it. And then if they faltered, they would beat them. They would scold them. They would mock them. 
The thing about the Pharisees is they might look good on the outside. And that's so true of so many Christians. They might look good on the outside. But the question is, is how do they look on the inside? Look at verse 25 of the same chapter. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Now, blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of may of them be clean also. Now, you think about this. If I offered you two cups, one was dirty on the outside and one was dirty on the inside, which would you drink from? Well, it's real simple, right? Some of y'all be like, I wouldn't drink from either one. I'd just go thirsty. But if you literally were thirsty and you had to drink one and you had to choose one, you would choose the one that was dirty on the outside. Why? Because it doesn't affect what's on the inside. But how many of us would drink the dirty cup on the inside? But it looks good outside. That's the problem. There's a lot of Christians that look good on the outside. But man, they are filthy on the inside. And here's the thing. If you think you hide it, people see more than you think they see. But look at this. He goes on. He, he uses another illustration in verse 27. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto white sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, of all uncleanness. Even so ye are an outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. It was considered to be unclean if you were around a grave. You were considered to be unclean. And so they wouldn't go. They would, they would have a funeral service and then they would leave. But when I went to Alabama... And pastored there for five years. They had a thing I'd never heard of before. Many of y'all probably heard of it called decoration. You've heard of it? Some of you have, okay? I'm sitting there and, and May comes up my first year and they go, oh, it's decoration. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess if y'all want to decorate the sanctuary, it's fine. I know we decorate it for Christmas and stuff, but no, 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 it's decoration. And I'm like, Give me some help here. What do you mean decoration? He said, oh, this is where in the month of May we will go out to the graveyards and we'll put flowers and we'll decorate them and we'll have our family reunions out there. Really? Y'all are weird. I didn't say that, but I did think that. But that's what they would do. And, and it's something that even today, some of you may do it, and I just don't understand it. If we had reunions, we had them at the church, you know. They would have them out there, and they would decorate. And here's the point that Jesus is trying to make. You can decorate a tomb, and it's still a tomb. You can make it look as pretty as you want, put flowers all on it, and people do that all the time, and that's just fine. But there's still dead bones in that grave. And those flowers and the decorations aren't going to resurrect the deadness out of that grave. And here's what he's saying. He's saying this. He says, many of you are like that tomb. You can decorate it as much as you want. It's still a tomb. And there's people that still have a dead man's soul inside of them. You need to get that because he was being serious about them. You can look good on the outside, but man, inside, God knows the truth. Don't lack integrity. Be who you say you are and live what you believe. Number two, do not lack restraint. Verse five, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their flat trees and enlarge the borders of their garments. In other words, don't be one who wants attention. Now, I grew up, how many of you grew up, your parents had a video recorder? Anybody have, parents have a video recorder? My parents bought one when my sister was born. Can I tell you what that video recorder was for? It was not for recording me. 
I mean, they recorded my sister. Now, you might say, that is one jealous sibling. I'm not denying it, okay? They would video record her sleeping. They'd video record her crawling. They'd video record her goo-gooing. They'd video record her eating food, spitting up, you name it. They got videos of all of it. And if you saw a video of me and my brother, it was us doing this. We just jumped in front of the camera any old time we wanted to to try to make sure we got recorded, right? Here's the point. The point is, is these men did it all for show. They wanted people to look at them. And so often this happens in church as well. We want people to see us. We want people to notice us. In fact, when you read in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talked about this. And he said, man, if you go to give and help somebody in need, don't do it for everybody to know. Don't do it for everybody to see it. Don't do it so that you get recognition for it. You do it in private where God will reward you privately. I was told about a lady in our last church. She wasn't there when I passed her, but a lady in the last church that if she gave any gift to the church, she wanted it in the bulletin. She wanted recognition for her gift. We see people all the time, they want to put plaques in churches with somebody's name on it. Can I just tell you something? If you think that's okay, then I want a plaque with my name in your house. This is God's house. It doesn't have, my name doesn't belong here. It does not belong here. It's not about me. But they want show. They want, if you give a gift, it doesn't need to be for show. He also said, if you pray, don't go to your prayer closets. Don't do it out in public. In other words, they were real good at standing outside and making long prayers and pretenses and looking the part that they look real godly. But here's the truth. Inside, they weren't really spending time with the Lord. They were showing off for others to see. He said, when you fast, go wash your face. Don't look like you're out there fasting. Don't let everybody think you're super spiritual. Don't do it for the glory of man, but do it for the glory of God when he sees in private. These men wanted to be showy. In fact, it says they had these little phylacteries. Now, you think about this. This was a box. It was a little mezuzah, all right? And it came with a strap, and they would wrap it around their arms, and some would stick it on their wrist, and inside would hold certain scriptures. And so they enlarged it. They wanted theirs to be bigger than everybody else's. That's kind of like an Easter hat, isn't it? You guys remember those years? The hats just got bigger and bigger and bigger. They wanted these boxes, and some would even put them on their foreheads. They wanted it to be seen by all people. They wanted to look really good. And he says they enlarged those things. Here's the problem, and Paul has to deal with this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, man, he says, don't seek out the showy gifts. You see, in the church of Corinth, they wanted two gifts. They wanted the gift of tongues, and they wanted the gift of prophecy. And neither one of those gifts are bad gifts. They're biblical gifts. But the problem was, is they were the showy gifts, and everybody would look at the person who did those things, and they would say, ooh, I wish I had that gift. I wonder how many people watched as these people came up here and sang and said, man, I wish I could sing like that. Don't be desirous of another person's gifts. Be thankful for what you have and use what God has already given to you. Because let me tell you something, every gift is vastly important. Can I tell you what I believe are the two most important gifts in the church? Two most important gifts I believe in the church are mercy and intercession, and those aren't showy gifts. Those are the gifts that are behind the scenes, and I believe those are the ones that God is going to reward first because they're the last. You see, we should desire not to be seen by men, but our desire should be to glorify God. God, do not lack 
restraint. Number three, do not lack humility. Look at verse six and seven. And love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. Uh, Jesus tells of a story of a guy wanting the best seat and he goes into a party. Maybe you've never had a party like this, but they had parties like this back then. And you'd go into a party and sit down at a seat. And he would tell you, don't, don't sit too high. In fact, it would be better to sit in the lowest seat at the house. This guy would sit real high up. And he says, here's the thing. Here's what would be humiliating. Is the guy who played or had the party that was going on, he comes in. And he finds you seated too high. And he goes, come with me, brother. And he takes you down to the lower seat. He said, instead, why don't you sit at the end of the table, the lowest seat, and watch him come up to you and go, hey, brother, come on up a little bit higher. He says, don't lack humility. In fact, the same thing happened in the church in the book of James chapter 2. They said that people would come in and they give them the best seats in the church. Can you believe that the best seats in the church are the front row and it's empty? Right? The best seat in the church in biblical times was the very front. We as Baptists got it mixed up. We thought the first meant the last, right? We're taking Jesus' words literally on throws. But you think about it. He said the very front. They would bring the rich people would come into the church and they would escort them down to the very front in the front seats. And those that came in that didn't have money, they'd make them sit on the ground. They wouldn't even have a chair for them. They were showing favoritism. And God says, man, don't do something like that. Don't be like that. Don't take the upper seat. Don't take the upper room. But then he also said this in verse 7. And greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. Look at verse 7. But be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all your brethren. In other words, we shouldn't search for titles. We shouldn't desire those things. I always find it interesting. Somebody comes up to me and says, what do you want to be called? You ready for this? John. That's my name. A lot of people say, well, you know, I have one lady in our first church. She called me Reverend. Oh. I used to think to myself, no, please don't, you know, because all ordained men, all ordained pastors were called Reverend, and she would call me Reverend. I was like, please don't call me that. She did it anyways, and I just learned to move on from it. Titles mean nothing. They mean nothing. Somebody asked me, he said, when I went and got my doctorate, do you want to be called doctor? And I said, no, I'm just John. I don't care that I have that title. I don't care that I have that certificate. That doesn't make me any better than anybody else. Now, my kids thought it meant I was going to make a whole lot more money. And I told them, I said, not that kind of doctor, right? But the idea of titles and, and what I find most humorous are usually those that earn the title don't want to have the title but those who are flippantly given the title want you to call them that. I had friends that, you know, were given honorary doctorates and they wanted to be called doctor. Sorry, you didn't earn it. I can give you a piece of paper that says you're crazy, but that doesn't mean you are. The truth of the matter is, is titles mean nothing. They mean Nothing. And in the eyes of God, here's the thing. There's only one rabbi, and it's Jesus Christ. He's the great teacher. He's the great leader. He's the great father. It drives me crazy when people, oh, that's my father. And I'm talking about in the ministry. No, nobody should be called father in the ministry. Sorry, 
shouldn't happen. There's only one father. There's only one rabbi. There's only one teacher. There's only one master. There's only one true, genuine leader, and it's Jesus. That's it. Titles mean nothing. And when we begin to take something to ourselves that doesn't belong to us, it is wrong. And as Christians, here's the thing. Whether you serve, you you can go to somebody, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Well, praise the Lord. I'm so glad you serve in Sunday school, but it doesn't make you any better than anybody else. Oh, I'm a deacon. Well, that's praise God. I'm glad you're a deacon, but it doesn't make you better than anybody else. We are all on the same team, working for the same leader, working for the same goal to glorify Jesus Christ, and nobody is any better than anybody else. You don't believe me? Think about the man who prayed. And so often people are like this, but the Pharisee comes in to pray, and in Luke chapter 18, he says, Oh God, you're so lucky to have me, is basically what he said. He said, you know, I fast twice a week and I give of all that I have and and I do this and I do this and I do this. And he starts laying out all these things to God. I'm so good. And it says the tax collector come in and wouldn't so much as even look it, look it up. And he fell on his face and he beat his breast and he said, woe is me, a sinner. And you know, Jesus said this. He said, you know which one went to their house, right? The tax collector. Because here's the truth of the matter. When it comes to all of us, we are nothing. Nothing. And if we're able to do anything, it is by the grace and the glory of God. And that's it. And as Christians, we should never think we are better than anybody else. I don't care what you own. I don't care what you wear. I don't care what you drive. I don't care where you live. You are not better than anybody else. We've got to understand that we need to be humble in all things. Lastly, do not lack compassion. Look at me in verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayer. Therefore, ye shall receive the greater damnation. You devour widows' houses. I'm going to tell you, this is where a lot of televangelists get a bad rap. Because the ones they try to milk away from their savings are the senior adults. And so often they try to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze more money out of them. And they, they're told things like, well, God will bless you and, and you're passing this on. And, and I look at that stuff and I think to myself, why do you pry and pray on the widows? Because the Bible tells us as a church... That's who we need to be reaching out and helping. James 1.27 says, True and undefiled religion is to help the orphans and the widows. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he gives a whole section in there about how the church is supposed to take up the mantle and help widows when they don't have children that are helping them out. God loves widows. God loves orphans. And God wants us to not abuse those. He wants us to help them. And when he talks about this, they would, they would have these people almost go broke, flat broke, so that they could have more money in their coffers. He says, for you devour widows' houses. In fact, here's the sad thing. In Matthew 15, he talks about a, a thing called Corbin, if you've ever heard of that. Corbin is where a person, a child, could declare that something was given to God so that they wouldn't take care of their parents. That's what they would declare. They would declare something as Corbin. And they would say, we can't help you in the midst of your need. Let me tell you something, young people. Your parents took care of you for 18 plus years. When they get older, it's your turn. 
It's your turn. And if you abuse and misuse that, I promise you God will judge you for it. You think I'm lying? Read the book. Here's the issue. The issue was is there are a lot of times they would say, well, I've declared this for God. Can I tell you something? If it's called to take care of your parents, and I can tell you so often, this is what God would have you do. It's take care of them. It's do what God has called you to do and be faithful to the word. Here's the problem. We cannot lack compassion in all things. We need to be always showing compassion in all things. That's why I love the blankets that we're going to be giving out. It's a a desire to show compassion. And that's just one step. We want to do so much more. That's just one step. Because it doesn't do us a whole lot of good to just give them blankets and then be like, hope you guys are good. Because we want to give them the gospel as well. Because we know that we need to meet their spiritual need as well as their physical need. But here's the thing. They're going to need more than blankets. They're going to need more than blankets. You see, God has placed us in an area particular to great needs. With the neighborhoods that we have right here. And if we miss and abuse what God has given to us. And we don't show compassion to those who don't have what we have, if we don't reach out to those who are in need and we have the opportunity to help, it falls on us. You see, if you want to be authentic, you got to be compassionate. If you want to be authentic, you got to have integrity. If you want to be authentic, you got to be humble. If you want to be authentic, then you got to have restraint. It's not about looking the part. The Pharisees were really good at looking the part. And I'm here to tell you, there are a lot of people who come to church that look really good as a Christian. But let's be honest, they'll leave out of here and they'll live Monday through Saturday just the way they want to. And then they'll come play church on Sunday. It happens. It happens. If we want to be authentic, and I believe we are an authentic church. I really do. It's not about showing off. It's not about bringing glory to ourselves. It's not about knowing that we're better than anybody else. Can I tell you something? We are no better than anybody else. If we have anything good within us, it is the grace of God. That is it. My desire is for us to always be authentic. And my desire is for each one of you. We can say this about the church, but the question is, in your heart, in your heart, Only you can judge whether you really are authentic and true and genuine. If not, well, by the grace of God, you can be. By the grace of God, you can ask forgiveness, and he will cleanse you, and he will change you, and he will use you. The issue is making sure you understand the truth about who you are, and you're willing to confess it to the one who can forgive and change you. Let's pray.